Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Doric, suppliers of window and door hardware to homes and apartments all across Australia, New Zealand and Asia. This week we're bringing you part two of our chat with two-time Bathurst 1000 winner and Doric ambassador, Will Davison. In this one, he goes in depth about his time at Holden and Ford's factory supercars teams and he also tackles your couch racer questions. Now there's a couple of tales in this one to listen out for. He talks in depth about the deal he was offered to stay at the Holden Racing Team, how Bathurst 2010 was a win that got away, and how he started 2013 totally confident he was going to be staying at FPR. So buckle up, it's time for part two. Will Davison on the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Doric. So Will, tell me then, you do three years with DJR and then you get to HRT, factory team, replacing Mark Scaife. Where does the wheels for that deal begin how does that all start uh, so yeah that was i mean 08 was a, a great year because we were great, gaining great momentum at djr for the first third year of two years where i'm just thinking i'm going to be moving on because it had been a tough two years financially so, so you're thinking because this is a bit of a struggle well, not that I'm i gonna... didn't love the place and love the team i mean it just been you could see financially the strains the team were in I mean, they just weren't in a position to to be, you know, paying me and they were struggling themselves to keep, I think, the place alive and I was just doing my thing, trying to help the team as much as I could to, you know, get results and get sponsors happy and do all I can. But um, but anyway, come 08, um, all of a sudden, you know, you could see we were making great ground. You know, obviously the deal, which was right or wrong for DJR, uh, where, you know, Dick and Charlie, um, you know, split the business and co-owners um, – and, and there was triple eight componentry. Tri- triple eight componentry, which we'd came sent, with an investment. Obviously. We'd sent the car overseas, um, done a couple of days on a seven post rig in a wind tunnel, which was all legal then in the off season, which Adrian had arranged. Which I'm guessing is not cheap because that's why we don't do it anymore. Exactly, I couldn't tell you. Um, but I hate to know what it cost. But it was still the original B Hag chassis. Um, but we, you know, we we got some good performance out of that car that, that year, where we won a few races and ended up fifth in the championship, knowing that there was a brand new FG 888 built car from scratch coming. Um, but then uh, to compl- complicate matters, um, yeah, mid-year, um, get a call from you know, Rob Crawford um, and Craig Wilson to go and sit down with them about potentially driving at the Holden Racing Team. And where's this during 2008? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say in middle of the year, I'm going to say August September around so then, the first your, meeting. You've had your Eastern Creek win. Yes. You've had a race win at Winton and finished equal on points with Winkup and Tanda, although Tanda got the round yes. win under yeah. the, the, the count back of the last race. Yeah. So your stocks are up. You've, you've had. That's it, right. You, you're prime for the picking. I suppose now I look back and it was pretty logical. Um, you know, I was performing pretty well, I think. And that's before anyone out there publicly had had a murmur that Scaife was going to finish up. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, at that stage. So there was even points where, um, you know, you st- had to start doing your own homework because that's a, that's a big organisation. 
um, you're dealing with Tom Walkinshaw and Craig Wilson and, and all of that, where they're politically much, <laughs> much uh, smarter than me to, to get what they want. So we're, I mean, we've over the years always been pretty smart with our dealings and covering our own backsides. But you know, there were I had to you know getting offered a seat's one thing, but then I had to go on the second meeting, go and actually double and triple check. So I need this in writing. I'm going to be in the number two or 22 Holden racing team car. This isn't going to be um, move me aside to the Autobahn car or the HSV dealer team or I'm not going to get me on the books and put me in the third or fourth car. I just had to verify that. And, yep, it was clear. And I remember just I sort of couldn't, you know, really believe it, to be honest. Um because when, you know, you cop a lot of flack, all of a sudden if you achieve something, I remember people saying, oh, yeah, your dream drive, Davison, rah, rah, rah. It's like, well, yeah, I wasn't a Ford or a Holden man. I was just a massive fan of motorsport that was, I just remember watching the HRT cars. And I remember back in 97 at Sandown 500, just looking inside a Peter Brock's car or Scaife's car and seeing how advanced they were. You know, they, they just, the team always looked like they were, you know, at the top of their game. They always looked like they were years ahead of everyone else. That goes back to looking at a Dick Johnson Racing Sierra back in the early 90s. As a kid, I idolised the Sierras around Bathurst. Um, so, yeah, to, to all of a sudden be offered a deal to drive at the holding racing team after everything I'd ever encountered, which is good and bad, but, you know, I was like, surely there's going to be no financial issues here. I mean, this is the echelon of motorsport. This is as big as it gets. Um, so that was, yeah, for me, uh, head and heart, saying two very different things. Then you get told, you know, I remember later... So you, so, which, so was head saying go? Was head heart staying stay at DJR? What was each uh, I would say head was saying go, heart was saying stay at DJR knowing that there was these triple eight built cars coming and oh knowing we finally to- actually you couldn't believe it. I'm like I think this place is looking pretty good if you want to, want to go into money which I you know is a very misunderstood thing in our sport but if we want to go into that I end up getting offered a deal from Charlie which I remember when I opened the email it did not make my situation easier because I'd already sat with HRT I'd had an offer forgetting I didn't really care about money but if you want to go into big teams and big budgets you think no it's the complete opposite you know i got this after i pretty much decided there's no physical way for getting on anything to do with the financials i can turn down that opportunity like you just how on earth could i live with myself if i turned down you know mark scaife's car at the holden racing team from where i'd come from but you were offered more to stay oh yeah absolutely a substantial amount more money to Double. stay Double? Well, not double. quite double, but, but probably not chunk, far off. A fair, a fair chunk. chunk. Uh, and a team that I loved. And the, the, the crew I had around me, the engineers I had, Adrian running the team, Jim Beam, a sponsor that I loved, which actually stayed with me as a personal sponsor to come when I went to HRT. They're on the front of my helmet. I had these great relationships. And now I look back and you realize how important that is. And I did. I knew that at the time. But to be competitive and successful in this sport, your network around you and, you know, so many of those elements, people that believe in you, working directly for you, um, are are crucial. But I'd built that then and I've probably never had that since. Um, Been in great teams, great relationships, all that stuff. That's easy. But like any relationship, like genuine friendships and relationships, um, I had that there. Um, But I still was like, okay, well, Okay, they're good for two years. I remember thinking, okay, 
this joint's definitely going to be good in the next two years. I know that. I remember saying, yep, I might be able to win a championship here. I know what I'm doing in this car. You know, what am I going to do in the next few years? But what then? Is there uncertainty at the end, in two years again? And I'm thinking, well, hold on, racing team, there's 10 years for me. There's But history would show your call was right with DJR. Yes, they did win a championship exactly. in 2010. But Very vulnerable, yeah. Things with Dick and Charlie didn't work out. They were kind of then on the slide after that. So history would say you did make the right call at the time. Exactly. So, there's, yeah, as I said, I never look back. I mean, you make your decisions um, very, very thoroughly uh, in great depth. And um, I left there on great terms. I couldn't lose, I thought, anyway. Uh, I couldn't lose. And and I think that's true anyway. I think if I stayed, could I, you know, could I have won that title that Courtney won? Yep, I absolutely reckon I could have. Um, I went to HRT. I drove at a team at the might of its power, possibly in a really tough period as well, but winning Bathurst at the Holden Racing Team 2009. I mean, it was a big organisation then with with some serious flaws, but with some serious power as well. So I really discovered the perks of winning at a team like that. And then on the downside, the, you know, you know what ha- you know failing in a team like that is something you never want to go through again. It was really, really tough to take. Um but you only become stronger from it anyway at the end of the day. So 2009, uh, we touch on a great year. You win a bunch of races, challenge for the championship. You win the Enduros. Everyone remembers who won Bathurst, but you guys also won the Phillip Island 500, but with, what, half a lap to go? That wasn't a race that you probably weren't going to win, and then all of a sudden Lance has a delaminated tyre, <laughs> Tanda steams on by, you win the race. I think a lot of people have forgotten that one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but I, I definitely think it's equaled out as well, where there's plenty that I was going to win and you have that against you. But either way, no, we were serious contenders that day. I remember the first stint with Wing Cup, we started 1-2, 60-odd laps around the island, not, never covered by more than 1.2 seconds. Car was seriously hooked up that day, as was theirs, and we had a great great tussle with them all day um hrt car that year had a really small operating window very tricky car to drive i remember the first time i drove it and i remember thinking you know what have i got myself into this thing is not nice compared to even my djr car um but they were all in the door first time i drove and i'm just like i'm just going to do what they tell me i'm just going to adapt to this car drive it how it needs to be driven you know a team that i was in awe of they dominated for all those years with rick and scaife and and tanda in 07 but you know through 08 obviously triple eight were really laying their mark on the championship and they were intrigued to know my feedback on you know what was my falcon like what was a triple eight suspension like and at that stage i remember thinking wow like everyone is paddling to keep their head above the water no matter how much they're foreseen as having it under control and having all their ducks lined up everyone is sort of winging it if you know what i mean as much as you can and they were just looking to me to make these substantial changes and i didn't quite agree with some of the stuff they were doing it's it's never all as as clear coded as you might think you know each car's got its own strengths and weaknesses but it's never one thing that achieves what my old falcon had um and they probably had a misunderstanding of what they were trying to achieve and how you're going to achieve it so oh nine we got by the old set up way and there were times where i just thought this thing is so stiff doesn't like curbs i had no feeling um i was like oh my gosh i cannot fail in these colors like i'm going to look like a tool and i remember i could rock up at adelaide then old al mcvane just brewing engineer just 
do a little change. And then the thing had more grip and was on rails more than any race car had ever driven. And I'm like, oh, I've just done a scaphy qualifying lap. Like you used to see those things come alive in shootouts. Breathe, Will, breathe. Yeah, yeah, but they'd come alive. They were a very different philosophy set up car. And I got out of jail and I double podiumed on debut. Yeah, rock up the next same deal. Then boom, Al, time after time, he could more often than not get me out of jail and we'd get this car <laughs> so it, hooked up. He does up. it for Dave Reynolds these days <laughs> anyway. He hasn't changed, Al. Times have changed, but that was a cool time. I mean, you had cars that were so significantly different in build, whether it be chassis stiffness, you know, sh- chassis um, depth, materials, suspension, engines, brakes. I mean, there were so much differences in the car and the styles that it really created quite a bit of interest. Uh, now we're all, yeah, there's big differences, but everyone sort of moved into sort of a more similar sort of philosophy and set up direction. There's not that variation in cars and teams, which good or bad, what do we want? I, I don't know. They're much closer now than they used to be, but then it's so close that it makes it a different negative as well. So um, yeah, cool, cool times, but uh real, real eye opener. And uh an amazing year, but it taught me a lot as well as to when you're up, people just like when I was the flavor of the month there, I rolled in, boom, like this is going to be your team now. Um, you're the new man here at HRT, just like that. And then and then mid-year on, you have a couple of bad races, just like that, you know, m- momentum shifts and, you know, Garth's the main man. And we worked well together, but it was a brutal environment where when you're on, people are, you know, just – you know, just hang on. And then when you have a couple of bad results, uh, they just bury you and bring you down. So it's, uh, yeah, I learn a lot in that in that environment. So 09 was the up year. 10 was clearly mega, mega down. It was like the wheels literally fell off for not just HRT, but for you. The results were nowhere. The pace is gone. It's nearly a decade ago mm. now. It's scary to think how fast time's gone. When you look back on it, can you put your finger on what went wrong? What could you have done better? Um, what was the whole scenario there? If how could you have gone to the factory Holden team, one Bathurst, and be out the door within twelve months? I, I can only be completely honest to anyone who listens to this, and yeah, every driver, everyone backs themselves, hundred um, percent. You got to look yourself in the mirror, and and you know you always assume it's something else to a certain extent uh you can always do something better you can always improve what you do and we're mindful of that but in our cars when they're not doing something there's nothing you can do so i was always mindful to to do better right but i went into that season in a better place mentally been runner up in a series living the dream bathurst winner Fitness-wise, we had a great program. You couldn't have gone into a season more confident thinking this is my time. And, you know, long story short, I just remember that car, or whatever was going on, it had a stump. They were right behind me for a while, the team. To the point where I remember going out and practice in Adelaide, and I came in midway through practice three times because I thought the rear end of the car was falling out. I thought something was loose. The handling was so bad to the point where you're like, all your muscle memory, all the things we do as a driver when you're quick, it just happens easily. But all of a sudden, that's gone. And you just, I mean, you start to wonder, what am, what's what have I, you know, what's going on here? Anyway, this this happened for quite a few rounds. And I'd jag a qualifying lap. The tire had been new. Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, third on the grid, third on the grid. People, I was still qualifying well. 
But give it three laps in the race. I mean, I was dumping a second and a half to the point where just I was so hopelessly bad. But I could drive the thing well, but I just, I don't know, I couldn't explain it. So I was happy to listen to them and happy to go, but God, you know, I'm doing something wrong. But it was, in my in my opinion, I could be wrong, but I, I trust my gut. And now since then in 10 years, I've learned over and over again, never lose you know, faith of your gut instinct. Um, always look at what you can do better, and we can always do something better as a driver. But in that sort of, um, when you're talking that sort of an issue, don't lose faith in yourself because there's always a reason for it. Always something going on. Um, unfortunately, there was four or five rounds there where, just like that, the relationship broke down. They'd forgotten everything I'd done for them. Good. Um, it came at a time where, yeah, contracts we started talking about and. Very quickly, you go from being the king of the castle with the world at your feet to effectively, oh, listen, we're not going to really offer you something at the moment. Let's just hang tight. It's like, well, hang on, I'm getting drawn into meetings. Let's go and see sports psychologists. Let's here's a hundred page document on how to change gears. You know, so hang on, I've got to learn how to drive again. I'm like, listen, they might be right. I'm not that driver that's blaming everyone else. I can do no wrong. But I'm like, guy, like we're miles off here like there's something going on here let's just work together um and to this day i'll always look at myself i've got you know got to be better but i know when you're in the right car the right moment you're going to be there or thereabouts you can fine tune yourself to be better but, but what could what could you have done better in 2010 I, I i don't actually know i mean i was you know at times how do you deal with that situation and that sort of humiliation nearly you go into a shell don't you, you go into a ball but all i did was try i get boxed, smacked to the ground, I'd pick myself up. Uh, you know, I was trying harder than ever. So I don't know what else I could have done. Probably not got so down on myself. Um, but I still to this moment, I, I that car, whatever was going on, I was qualifying it well. I mean, we were just getting humiliated. And eventually we got new chassis in about June. And from that moment on, as a team, we were struggling but from that single moment on um, to the end of the year, it was back to 09, as in Garth and I, you're hundredth apart, hundredth apart, back to as it should be, you know. It made sense. It made, it made sense. sense. Yeah. So I, I, to this day, it's it's a bit of a, it's a mystery. But I know when I changed cars, we were back to, um, you know, being able to work together, and it was a real shame. Uh, then they offered me a, I was offered a deal, a single year extension. Um, and then I was offered, you know, FPR, um, a three-year deal at a team where clearly they were doing the right things with their car. They were the only ones getting close to Triple Eight at that time. So HRT did put a, a deal to you for one year to stay on for 2011. That's right. And I'm like, okay, well, we've got to work together here. We've got some. I think we've got some bigger problems that we need to solve as a team. Um, you know, our cars and what Triple Eight are doing at the moment with their cars. Uh, but I'm said I'm not getting to April next year and, going and looking over again. my shoulder again. We need a big commitment. I just need just two years. So would you say you felt offended by a one year yeah, deal? Yeah, I probably was a little bit. I mean, at least I mean it's the way it goes. It's a cutthroat industry. Um, it, it is what it is. But um, you know, it was nice that they offered me one. I remember Tom Walkinshaw ringing me, Philip Island five hundred. So what are we talking? September, August. 2010, not long before his passing, and he obviously knew there was a contract up in the air at that stage, and he didn't hear from Tom very often, but I remember, you know, I'd be forever grateful of having that chat with him. I can just re still remember walking around my dad's balcony at Phillip Island, you know, t Tom's ringing, you know, it was a pretty big deal, and having a bit of a chat about things, um, 
But it was, yeah, it was a tough time for the team for many reasons. And, yeah, I remember going into that meeting. I'd made it clear that two years um, I'll sign the deal. I want to be loyal. Everything you labelled unloyal, um, you know, but FPR offer was great. I mean, their cars were flying, right? You could see they were really starting to nail, be right there with Triple Eight. Um, offered me three years. I'm going to go money again, a lot more money than I could have driven for. At HRT, not that it's about that, but it was just a, you know, they were a proper organisation. They were on top of where they were going. There was nothing to negotiate. It was just, you know, they had all their faith in me. They were like, he's a top driver. That's what we want. There's no, there's no, you know, um, underpricing him, you know, trying to get a bargain while he's down. It's not, nah, we're paying for a top value and that's what we're going to get. Anyway, went into the second meeting, HRT, uh, one year. I needed something in my head, and it was, all right, if I get the two years, which I was 99% sure I would after I'd made it clear that I'd only signed that, no. Okay, I needed something to split the line, and uh, that, that made my decision for me to leave, and it was luckily the best thing I did because they were great years at um, FPR. But having said that, at the time, I didn't want to enter a project that I was going to half – finish you know i was really disappointed the way it finished um just a real whirlwind two years uh which you know i'm still really look back on fondly pretty pretty cool chapter but obviously pretty sad that it uh, ended that way but uh it's just just the way it goes i don't want to delve through the the tough stuff and the stuff that didn't work out but um these are the backstories that a lot of people don't get to hear from, particularly our modern current supercar drivers because everyone's in the moment. Everyone's so busy doing what they're doing that to get a moment to sit here and stop and look back and open up about some of those things that you won't read about in the magazines of the period because everyone's closed shop at that stage because they're in the moment. They're, they're doing yeah. it behind closed doors. So in 2010, uh, as we talked about, the wheels fell off, but I can't help but remember the, the retro-liveried cars from Bathurst that year they were fantastic when the team put the old black and white colors um, on both cars for Bathurst as a 20th anniversary celebration of their first Bathurst win in 1990 uh, so it was you and David Reynolds that's a combination and a half so Al, Al, I don't think Al McVeigh was engineering <laughs> you that year but he's ended up working with you both over the years and it was Tander and McConville in the other car the cars looked apart they were quick I'm not gonna mm. you ended up in the wall at the end of the race with what, three laps to go, four laps to go, a yeah, yeah. couple of Vodafone cars in front that history would tell you were pretty light on fuel. Yeah. If that goes green to the end, it might have been a HRT 1-2, not a triple eight one two. Yeah, it's probably one of my, oh, I won't say regrets because I was trying my hardest, but uh, the one thing I look back on, tough year, like you said, I'd got my new car. I felt pretty good in the new car. That livery was just sick. Like, I remember I hadn't decided my future at that point. Like, it was. But the rumors were swirling about The rumors FPR were swirling. It was an important weekend. Uh, and they were still right behind us. We had an upgrade flown in Friday night, true up, up HRT style to the engine. Uh, we were doing everything to, to win that race. Uh, that's. That car that day, again, was probably one of my more memorables, although I ended up in the fence, pretty sore and sorry. Beautiful car. Me and Dave. Davey the Joker, the one that they'd let go the year before. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That was was the great irony was that he'd been full-time with Walkinshaw the year before, uh, came in as the Carrera Cup champ and a real priority signing to Walkinshaw and then was sort of pushed into an enduro drive role the next year. And I might write in remembering that he had a – physical issue at Bathurst that year a bit similar to what he had last year 
in that he he had to get out of the car early or he cramped or yeah yeah, so, yeah you know it, well, so last year like wasn't that. the first time he had a few no, little drivers. I mean Davey's uh, he's a funny funny old driver Dave and he's um, you know I remember him then he's so much ability like I just remember seeing some of his data and some of the stuff he did and you'd see him in practice and you know I'd pop my head in the door how you going out there Davey and he'd sort of just be like oh. I don't know, mate. I'm I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm quick around there. And I, don't, I don't know what corner I'm at. And oh, he's running around in scapey boxer shorts, loving his in his HRT <laughs> that's, car. That's not a that's not he a vision just, we need. We don't need. But that you vision. know, he, he, that's the way he deals with sometimes pressure. You know, like when he's under the pump, he goes a bit airy fairy. But don't don't under you know. Obviously, as we see today, never underestimate his ability as a driver. Is amazing, and he's actually a hugely intelligent <laughs> guy. Uh, he's just a quirky guy, someone I love, you know, very, very much. Just a just a ripper, ripper mate. Great fella, great driver, really fair competitor, and uh, he's doing really well now. But then that day, we we were good mates. He was down on confidence, and um, yeah, I do remember yeah, there was a stint there where he was starting to fade. Similar deal, he started dropping lap time. He was pretty exhausted mentally, um, which is why he's put a lot of effort in over the years to to get on top of those things with his food and he's pretty particular on his preparation because he's obviously quite sensitive to it. No matter how fit he is, I've done training with him, he'll he'll run us under a tree, you know, like, you know, he'll outswim us, outrun us, anything. You know, he's a fit young guy, but uh, he's just susceptible to heat and whatnot. But uh, he put in a sterling effort that day and um, really, really memorable race. And, yeah, I threw it all away. I'll never forget it. I loved that car all weekend. The feeling I had driving that car, that livery, I was at one with that car, much similar to my 2007 DJR car. Uh, last stint, we'd been third all day with inside of those Vodafone things. We are in a big fuel save race, and I remember it was just saving, and I'm like, let me go, let me go. It's like, no, hold on, hold on, and we had the fuel switches on the steering wheel, and it was just a bit of a Mickey Mouse game with Triple Eight and how much fuel they got up their hands, how much have we got. Up, and the, up, up their sleeves. Up their sleeves, oh, I, think, I knew what you meant. It was in the armory. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> And uh, there was about six to go, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Are we racing to win this thing, or are we just running around in fuel conserve mode? Finally, our guys said, you know what? Go. Go. Let's do it. We don't know if we're going to make it. We're pretty sure we're good. Let's go maximum rich, flat out. Let's go win the thing. And I just gassed at that lap, and I was just on a qualifier. And that's hey, what and I- you're th- Third, third behind and right rounds and link up. In a big fuel save. So I reckon I would have got to them very quick. Didn't know how much fuel would they have reacted when I got to their bumper. Who knows? Uh, but it was tight for fuel because Garth was behind me who ended up on the podium. We know how much he finished with. And that one lap, I just remember losing the rear down into the grate. I sort of hadn't been flat out down into the grate for about 15, 20 laps. I was rolling off saving fuel where I could and that flap I'll go qualifying spec which is just hold the gas down the hill down into the grate which you do in qualifying but at just that moment I just remember as I went down the rear got light sort of stepped out on me really suddenly and I saved it and then the marbles at that lap 154 at Bathurst offline are bad and I had a monstrous shunt absolutely huge hit impact and it was only the second before I hit the wall that I think I was going to crash I was that busy trying to gather the car up thinking there's no way you're shunting the thing now like you're kidding me and then all of a sudden I've had one of the biggest hits I had in my career Um, so that was just yeah that absolutely not only throwing away a podium then hearing that possibly after four safety car laps the amount of fuel they pulled out of their car up ahead and then what we had left in ours or Tanda's thing. Um, yeah, I think if that ring 
green to the end. I think uh, we we're a, yeah, we we're a pretty good shot to uh, to get that one. All you got was a busted rib or two from memory out of that. Yeah, exactly. So on me, shocking. Uh, and that's the end of that 2010. People say, oh, I'm confidence driver and you need everything against you, uh, working for you. Uh, bulldust, you know, because by that stage, the relationship had broken down a bit. My future was going elsewhere, but I had a car. But you'd mentally felt you were going no, elsewhere? No, I mean, oh, maybe after that, yeah. And I couldn't have been all, you know, when you're moving on from a team and things haven't gone as you like it's not a very comfortable place to be but the back half of that year we were going great um we had some you know qualified second row at sandown had the big accident with caruso um you know tassie i was running third with five ten laps to go we had an oil line fly off home bush i was on the second row of the grid my last ever race in an hrt car i was second with about 15 to go at home bush had an electrical failure um, so people often forget the way i came home that year in not a very comfortable working environment. And that was just, you know, a few things we'd got our ducks in a line. And it was a shame. It was a, a relationship that probably could have continued if we'd all just kept together and stayed uh, more harmonious and as one. And that's just motorsport. People looking for people to blame. It's someone else's fault. Who's a scapegoat? Everyone's out there just trying to hang on to their jobs, particularly in big teams like that at that stage. And if you don't go well, you're going to be made the scapegoat. And, um, it's the same for everyone. We've all been guilty of it at times, trying to save your own backside. Um, there's no there's no place for that in motorsport. It's finding a team, a environment where you're all on the same page, you've all got each other's back, and it's not easy. It's all good, well to say it, but actually doing it and acting on it can't just happen. That's got to be gained. It's got to be formed, those sort of relationships. And when you find that, you're away. You're away, and uh, that's that's the tricky bit that not many people are able to form that that winning formula. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. One of the things that people are not able to form, particularly from, I guess, our fans who follow the sport, one of the, I guess, the common uh, sticks that you're whacked with is because you've jumped teams. You've been at a team for three, two, three years, two years, two years here and there. But it's no different to any other job. And, and you're no different from any other driver, whether it's Garth Tanner leaving GRM or whether it's Craig Lowndes' situation here or Joe Blow's there. Everyone's got their own story. And at the essence, this is your job. Yeah, you love what you do. Other people love what you do. But this is what you pay to do. So when an opportunity dries up, you've got to go somewhere else. Or if a relationship breaks down, you've got to go somewhere else. That's how you make the money that pays for your mortgage and your meals and you, like the rest of us, we all do what oh, we yeah. do to, to do our well. So if someone comes along with a better deal where you're going to be happier, you might make more money, you might have more opportunity to achieve. It doesn't matter what job that you do, um, whether you're a race driver or you're a keyboard typist of a day or you're empty rubbish bins or you, mm. you do whatever you do, um, it's the same scenario. So, And that's just the link into. Obviously, you have three years at FPR, you're challenged for the championship, you win a pile of races, you do slam your car into the fence while doing a burnout after you won in Townsville, which <laughs> not many people have done, really, by the way. And then again, you find yourself in this situation where you're, you're moving on from a, a team where you were winning and you were having a great run. So I don't want to keep focusing mm. on the, 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 the departures, which it might otherwise see, but I can see it's a great chance to take our listeners into 
the real backstories of, yeah. of what goes on and, and, and looking back on it. But to put the, the, the good, the, the positive light on it, tell me about the FPR era because, I mean, you surprised me a little bit earlier by talking about the 2012 car as your, your favourite. You won a pile of races, you contended for the championship. You clearly had a really good, happy home at what was called FPR then. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing I do say to people, yep, I've chopped and changed and most of the time not through my own real doing. I've just... <laughs> an opportunity's Just dried up and do you want to go sit on the couch and try and get a job or do you want to keep uh, – it's a no-brainer. I, I reckon you'd be rubbish with a real job just quietly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, no, at the end of the day, it's it's cutthroat. You're doing everything you can to stay out there. I feel fortunate that I'm now 430 whatever it is, sleuth, oh, races. races into oh, my career. Lots, lots, yeah. So the point being, yep, yeah, I have. But when you've been around that long, at least when one, one thing's dried up, I've had an opportunity to go elsewhere. There's a lot of other people that would have happily driven for a lot of teams that didn't get another opportunity. So, you know, being, um, you know, pump, you know, I'm not pump my own tyres up, but actually saying, well, at least I've had an opportunity to go and drive for another team. Um, and, you know, that's why I've driven for a few because a few things have happened and a few situations have unfolded where at least I've had someone else wanting to employ me, basically. So it's never the plan. Um, the FPR one was, yeah, that, that, that was just, that's that sucks because I don't have regrets because things happen for a reason. But that was, I found my feet. I had three wonderful seasons, really, uh, where it was an absolute no-brainer continuation like at the end of 2012, we just won Homebush, uh, had a year left on a contract. There was a three-year extension in front of me. Um, so this is at the start of 13. Before the, then, for, for end of 12. Right. End of 12. Yeah, well early. And it was like, yeah, of course. I mean, I love this team. We're kicking butt. This is going to be my home minimum six years. Like this is everything you want, you know. Um Anyway, that's that's just a, that's another story. As I rocked up early thirteen, it was just a formality. All right, let, let's let's just knock that contract over, and um, it just so happened then that things were going a bit quiet. Didn't really get a reply in January. Rock up back early January, uh, late January. Sorry to the the workshop and the big announcement. Guys, ProDrive has sold the team to Rusty and Rod Nash. Business per usual, no dramas. Let's go win the championship. Happy days. Let's get on with it. You know, we got off to a good start of the year. I think I was leading the championship come April, May. Uh, May, I was leading the series. All right, let, let's just get this contract out of the way now. Um, yep, quiet, 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 quiet. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Then you hear, oh, the Ford deal's a bit shaky. Don't know if Ford are going to be. It was just a really unfortunate time to then be uh, in a negotiation, young young driver, They'd put into the DJR car, Chaz. Um, Who was under contract to them and on Under loan. contract. And I don't know, the way it dragged on, it just again, you know, sometimes you've got to try and take your emotion out of it. It's pretty tricky. Uh, but no brainer. I thought I was going to stay there. I just thought common sense had prevailed. But the year started dragging on, on, on. We get to September. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't think this was going to be tricky. And then it was just a fairly big sticking point over, um, you know, a deal. Yeah, it was nothing. I didn't think it was going to be a tough negotiation. Well, whether there'd be a deal at all or the terms uh, no, of the deal? No, I think deal, it was always or? going to be a deal, but just the terms of a deal. And uh, next thing, yeah, understand. That's a business model. It's tough times. You know, if someone hits you up with a pretty significant pay cut, it's it's always a, a tricky one. You try and negotiate, meet in the middle. Certainly not trying to get a pay rise or do anything silly. It's just trying to 
reach terms and um, nothing personal, but it was just something that just unfortunately couldn't agree on. And then, you know, there's a you know, young guy there that will take your spot, you know, it's sort of a bit of hard bargaining. Um, and I didn't feel like I really deserved that. You know, I felt like I'd bought a fair bit to the team and we'd achieved a lot together. And I think just a really unfortunate timing, like with everything that had happened, just a really bad time to be out of a contract. I wish I'd just done the deal at the end of 2012 when they'd offered it and it all would have been Bob's your uncle. And uh, it, uh, yeah, Erebus came knocking, Ross Stone came knocking, someone I got a massive amount of time for, went and spent a fair bit of time up with them to see their plans, their projects, a lot of the things they had in place. Still a very big call to leave something so proven, something so powerful. I still deep down thought common sense was going to prevail there and, Unfortunately, it didn't. So was there was there ever an actual deal? Oh, of from course. FBI? Yeah, right. of okay. course. Yeah. yeah, there was. And particularly at the 12th hour, um, you know, I heard from, you know, Rod and, uh, you know, it was a really amicable conversation and the deal was, <laughs> in the end, you know, um, everything I'd sort of hoped for. But again, I'd probably gone a fair way down the other path at that stage because it was really unworkable. And So again, the same scenario as DJR from X years Erebus ago. You, had, you felt that... Your loyalty, or you, you had indicated all the things to this time. It was Erebus rather than DJR that you were pretty much done without quite being done, and that you'd come far enough. Yeah, down the line I just you turn yeah, back. it's a personal thing, you know. And you just, I just felt a bit, um, yeah, I just felt a bit upset by it, really. Um, and yeah, it was a huge move. Um, oh, I remember, you know, going up did, to did, Erebus and the pages of notes I had, and you know, you, you know. You wanted answers. You wanted oh, clarification. Yeah, I was just—I knew it was going to be a big move and a big risk. But I, you know, looked at the size of the team and the size of Betty's commitment at that stage, and guys like Ross Stone, Dave Stewart, HWA in Germany. Um, well, there's, there's that name again. Yeah, some big. Yeah, some. Oh, the Mercedes brand was that a good thing in hindsight and V8 supercars? But at the time, who knows? Crystal ball, what's going to happen? And uh, I thought, you know what, this, you know, this could be a, this, you know, this could really work. And um, <clears throat> yeah, anyway, that's that's the way it goes. Had some had some pros in those next two years. Some gains, some things I'll take out of my career. Uh, some amazing races, relationships, some real qualities in that team. Uh, winning a race in a Mercedes, making a lot of progress, learning a lot about developing that car. Um, hindsight, you know, full circle. I've ended up back where I was. Team, I had a lot of respect for mutually. Um, yeah, should I have stayed? Whatever. Does you can't waste the energy. All I know is I left there on great terms. I had nothing but respect for the three years and, and this the team FPR. quality. This is FPR. You're this about is FPR, that. and I've gone back there and never burned a bridge. And um, you're back in there the door of the same building. Yeah. Um, a different sign on the, the door these days. But uh, one of the things that we get asked a lot about our fans uh, at V8 Sleuth who love the cars of supercar racing. Every time we post a photo of an Erebus AMG E63, goes off its head. Those cars sounded, particularly when they first wheeled out, remember the flat plane crank and the noise that they made, but even still later on when you were driving there. Uh, tell me about those cars, their strengths, their weaknesses, because they were a unique part of our, our supercar's history. We'd love to see one run again somewhere. Betty, if you're listening, <laughs> wheel it out. You, Barry, get it done. Um, what, what are your memories of those cars and their, their the good bits and their bad bits? Because they were totally unique. Yeah, so, I mean... Initially, um, yeah, quite a significant uh, note, engine note inside the car. Um, remember the first test day, it all felt pretty good. The, the balance of the car felt good. The, the way the engine revved, the torque curve, 
It's hard to feel if it had no grunt or plenty of grunt because down low it felt pretty flat. Up at the top end of the, the, the power curve felt quite peaky, nearly like a little two-stroke. So you couldn't work out if you were going fast or slow. You actually felt like you were braking late in it only because you were going slower. It handled well, and I remember just rolling out thinking, this feels good, and then just looking at the stopwatch going, <laughs> oh, dear, you know, there's a bit of work on here, and it was a real strange one because I'd just come from, if you're in a good V8 supercar, if you get a certain feel, a certain balance, the time just happens. Just <laughs> drive around whistling, ah, oh, P2, mate, P1, P3, all the things the top guys in our sport, Jamie, you take for granted when you're in a big team. You think, my thing doesn't even feel good and I'm second quickest. What the hell is everyone else doing? I started thinking that. I'd had three years in a good car. Jump in this thing and, you, yeah, first few rounds. I mean, felt good. Everything from my backside and the feelings I had in a car was doing everything a race car should. My markers, I was braking deeper. I was driving harder. P19, P20. It was just like... Oh my gosh, you know, it's a real eye opener. And you got to dig deep, you got to stay calm, you got to get your expectations back in check. And, uh, and yeah, bit by bit, we made significant inroads that I was really proud of. Like I saw that car run last year. Actually, Barry Ryan was sending me photos with Dave sitting in the car. He said, as you, as you rolled off the track, Homebush 15, mate. And uh, it, little things that when you get given a free range to develop a car, a cockpit, a steering wheel, the way the dash was laid out, the, the list goes on. Put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into fine-tuning a car and something i'm proud of really cool crew there some brilliant staff that we had at that team and with an actually pretty limited budget i mean there's a lot of money spent on things that shouldn't really been spent on looking back in terms of what we wanted to make the car faster from the time i arrived unfortunately the budget was very limited the business model they were running without manufacturer support you know there's a lot of staff there it was just a lot of money to keep the thing running and we weren't actually able to make the cars go faster and through just some smart guys there uh the old stony boys and some really good engineers you know we were able to make the car good like by 15 there were some qualities in that chassis that i still wish i had today like the thing was really good there's some great races in that car people forget a lot of the top fives i had in that car they remember the win in perth but i think i had 13 14 top sort of seven, eight finishes. I don't know the exact numbers, but a really nice race car. I had some really memorable races in it. We made the engine better. We needed some further steps. We got the drivability a lot better. It had this crazy flutter on part throttle where you're trying to look after your tyres in a race and it had this big flat spot and misfire and a blow into wheel spin. Some really frustrating traits with overheating, clutches cooking on the start line. I mean, there was just some pretty fundamental flaws that actually took a long time to get sort of fixed and ironed out. And we ironed out all these just silly little bugs. Then we started really improving the performance. And to run top five in a supercar championship, people say the Mercedes failed. Hey, I don't end of the day to run top five or win, let alone win a race. The thing people forget at one, two races. I mean, how, how bloody easy is it to win a V8 race these days? I wish I could win one at the moment. Um, it was a beautifully yeah, uh, developed race car that didn't need that much more. So cool chapter, but uh, yeah, what, what could have been for sure? Well, if we ever get it out or get Erebus to get it out for a test day somewhere along the line, I'm sure that you'll get a, a phone call to have a steer. Um, on the VH Sleuth podcast, where we do the couch racer questions, where basically we turn it over to social media, which can be a dangerous thing sometimes when you do that, mm. and ask the fans for their questions. Now, some of them you've probably covered off a little bit um, through our chat, but 
we'll rip into them anyway. You're, you can you cope with this? You ready? Far away. We've sort of covered this a little bit. So uh, Andrew Kirk asks, you've driven the FG Falcon, the Mercedes, the VF Commodore, and now the Mustang. I think that's called – I think you're experienced, I think, rather than veteran. Um, in your opinion, we, we, t- we just touched on this about the Merc, what are the pros and cons in very simple terms, in very quick terms, about each of those cars? Uh, very, very hard to actually dictate between a manufacturer – Besides the, it's more a team specific, a team thing. specific thing. So, so, so an FPR FG, an FPR FG has a certain philosophy. The way the car's set up, the way it flows in the middle of the corner, the way it brakes, something that's very different to a triple eight design Commodore. Triple um, eight design car, I would say, ergonomically very, very well thought out, very well designed. The cockpit and the cars, very nice, very comfortable. The gear shifts, the roll bars. A lot of really well thought out, well engineered things. Um, there's nothing in that car that, yeah, everything's well thought out, well engineered. Just a nice feeling through the steering rack. The steering uh, achieves its speed in a very particular way. You get in that car first time I drove it, thing broke incredibly well. And this is a techno. We're obviously techno talking about. car had some really good qualities. Uh, you know, might be a bit harsh on curbs at time, but put its power down well there's some strengths and weaknesses had good straight line speed uh you go into an fpr car you've got to drive it a completely different way you've got to really flow the car be very very particular with your brake applications the way you bleed off the brake but it's a bit more like a lounge like you've got to be really smooth and finesse the car but they flow a lot in the mid corner the way you apply the throttle uh there's other aspects in that car that sometimes really generate generate its grip in the middle of the corner, which give you a good feeling. Um, polar opposites, they've all got strengths and weaknesses. The Merc, I'd say handling-wise, was actually really nice on its tyres. Um, I sort of set that thing up around what I knew from an FPR car, as clo- close as I could get. Um, but engine-wise, didn't nearly have the drivability at that stage on low throttle um, of the the Chev block or the Ford block, which uh, are both very, very well-developed engines, which both, uh, you know, deliver their power in a really smooth way. Another one here, which I think we might have covered, but you might be able to pick another one, but Jordan Northcote's a regular listener. Is there a Bathurst that got away? We talked about 2010. Are there any others that come to mind as the ones that could have been? Um, well, I'd say 11 and 12 at FPR, both of those days, particularly 12, but... I started second in 11, got off to a seven or eight second lead, got out of the car, was halfway through my banana and uh, saw Lukey Yulden at, at an issue and uh, ended up in the gravel trap. So we lost a lap there instantly, heart sunk. Uh, 12 months later, redemption, awesome car, put it on pole. Um, and this is the retro. This is the retro car, car, probably the best, fastest car I ever had at Bathurst in terms of ability just to drive through the field and... Um, yeah, uh, and then unfortunately just had one of those days where it ended up being the worst day I've ever had at the mountain, but in the fastest car. We just had issue after issue after issue after just driving around in the lead in the first stint by eight seconds, just cruising with one hand. I've never really had that luxury before. Um, so I'd say 12 in a way, but we didn't really even nearly win it. We were out of the race from very early. I think I went from the back to the front about five times that day till eventually the the roll, roll bar, uh, the, the, the tube, roll bar tube under the car uh, broke, lost handling. I was just trying to nurse it home. Eventually that fell off with an enormous thud down Conrod Strait where I thought it was a chunk of rubber coming from underneath the car until I went to get on the brakes at the chase and the pedal went straight to the floor. Uh, life flashed before my eyes at that moment. Um, so the, the, the roll tubes come off and uh, cut all the brake lines. 
that's what the thud was down Conrod. So that that was the icing on the cake as to uh, the day from hell. And that was the morning where I didn't reset my alarm for daylight savings. And I remember getting up at, thought it was seven to breakfast. I couldn't work out. No, I'm shaving and walking up to catering. And uh, there's no one in the paddock. And I was like, what are you doing here so early, Will? It was 6 a.m. instead of seven. And uh, uh, yeah, I, was, I hadn't slept anyway because I was stressing about starting on pole. So I went and tried to have another 45 minutes in the motorhome sleep. And I just remember laying there going, I am so tired. I can't believe I'm about to start Bathurst. I've had like two hours sleep. Anyway, I got off to a good start. I thought, yes, it's going well. But uh, no, it all went pear-shaped and it all started from that bloody alarm clock malfunction. Probably should have hit the snooze button and <laughs> stayed in bed that day. Uh, another one here, Will. Did being part of a well-known motor racing family help you in regards to contacts when you were working your way uh, towards F1 in Europe? Um, no, I, w- I wouldn't say so. I mean, all it did was, you know, we had an incredible passion as a family that uh, that inevitably leads to hard work and, and dedication. So from my dad's point of view, um, him just doing everything he could and beyond to uh, help guide. And, um, you know, he didn't have his father in his career. So a lot of those mistakes um, that he may have made in his own driving career, I think he, he tried to put right to help Alex and I as, as good as he could. And uh, I suppose dad had some contacts, uh, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, I met some amazing people in my journey growing up through Tony Gaze and my grandma Di and, you know, some of the you know amazing legendary racing families throughout Europe and Sir Jackie Stewart and Sterling Moss and family friends effectively, um, you know, everything Tony achieved, everyone who was just, yeah, in awe of Lex and Tony, but the driving, you got to do the job yourself. Um, but we, we loved what we did as a family and, you know, what dad did for us, you know, what do you call that? I don't know. I just call that passion and something we love doing as a family, which, you know, enabled some of the opportunities I had. Benjamin Willard asks oh, – Willard? More Wills. Jeez, it's Willard asking Will. Uh, do you think the E63 could have been more competitive if given enough development? So had there been some more budget, some more time, could it have been a regular winner? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it was a bit compromised with the – you know, the size of the actual engine that we had in that car. Um, I remember some trumpet development we did in the end required if we had a bonnet bulge in the thing and we could have run longer trumpets, uh, <laughs> we would have got a ton more power, but we were compromised by that. Uh, but basically where the engine sat in the car, I think probably some of the car of the future regs for the new manufacturers at that point probably weren't as well thought out as it should have been. And the engine, I think they were a bit scared that it was going to come in and blow everyone away. But uh no, it's, uh, you know, having to detune effectively a 6.3 litre down to a 5 litre. It was never really made to do what it did, but we got it very close. It certainly would hit the peak power at the right temperature, but, you know, it was quite a massive engine. If you saw where it sat in the car, I'm not sure the going centre of gravity, but I'm not sure if the engine centre of gravity or the front axle weight was quite ideally as we would have liked. So we, we were faced some hurdles and some challenges, uh, but in the end we got it. We got it pretty close. So could it have been a championship winner with the right money? Maybe, but there were some significant things that probably needed to be modified in the, the engine, even engine packaging side of things. Uh, Luke Battiston asks, will you ever team up for a race with J-Dub? <laughs> could there be a Winkup Davison combination somewhere along the line it's pretty you know he's got to drive with Paul Dumbrell mates with you both 
but you two have never shared a car. Yeah, maybe at the uh, Le Mans 24-hour, no, the Lemon 24-hour, what, what's oh, yeah, that? Well, more like can't the spend more than 100 bucks. We'll yeah. get a lot of Hyundai XL or you something like that. You don't that. have to speak French there either. Uh, lemons 24 hours. Um, no, maybe one day. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to say now. At this stage, you know, pretty committed where I am. He's a shareholder at Triple Eight. How many more full-time years has he got? I mean, hey, if the stars align, you never know, but maybe we'll step out of full-time driving together at the same time and it'll be a bit hard to share a car unless the rules change. Hey, there's a, there's an idea. But uh, no, I mean, uh, maybe in something somewhere someday I'd love to think we could pair up together. Me, him and PD at the Bathurst 12-hour, I don't know, that'd be pretty cool. We grew up as mates together as kids and certainly it would be cool. Um and you, you never say never, but there's certainly no plans in place at this stage, but I'd love to. Uh, another one, Ben Farley asks, how many bubble bills do you consume on average per day? If you follow <laughs> you on social, you do tend to churn through them at a race meeting. Yeah, despite my dairy intolerance, uh, my love for bubble bill just generally gets the better of me. But uh, no, I've cut down. I think I I think I'd OD'd my quota by about three years last year. So um, yeah, I've gone a bit easy on the uh, the old bills. They're called Bubble Fills now, not Wills. Well, when your teammate, yeah, uh, when your teammates fill, Bubble Fills. A question here from R. Crean of the Gold Coast: Why do you never make the bed properly? Uh, do you even attempt to make the oh, bed? I do attempt on a regular basis, and I think I get A-plus for effort every time. Um, D for execution? Never quite, just, it never quite lives up to her standards of excellence, you know. I, just, I try my best and uh, just don't quite get the sheet tucked in correctly. I have the pillows, the wrong colours, in the oh, wrong order. Hospital co- corners, mate. Hospital corners. I mean, I'm just, do. exactly. So, uh, no, I'm just not up to her quite levels of OCD perfection. But you can, a bloke, we're never perfect. We just, it's all about the effort, isn't it? The execution's just not great. Yeah, A, a plus for effort. D, D for, execution. for execution, but I'm yeah. just having a go, you know. Young bloke having a crack, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, uh, another question here: What was your most inspirational win? Inspirational win? Are we talking supercars? You can, you can talk whatever you whatever you no, think I it is. I don't know. Um, inspirational win. What's the one that meant the most? That had the most maybe emotion attached to it, perhaps. Oh, I mean, they're all amazing. Uh, all of mine. I haven't had enough where they're. But, I mean, there's some be some high-pressure cooker moments. Um, you know, that first one with HRT, I remember the pressure on myself I had then. And that was, was Sandown? huge at Sandown in 2009. I remember the Erebus win in Mercedes. Again, I'd made such a big call leaving a factory Ford team where I was a championship contender to then be pretty much disappeared into nowhere, start wondering, you know, are you ever going to get that chance again? And, you know, you feel like you're eating humble pie a little bit. Um but I did it for the right reasons. But to, yeah, get that win with them in the Merc, I remember felt like I was justifying my presence in that team. You know, I really wanted to give Betty and the team success. I was doing everything I could, a lot of things out of my control, but that was a sweet one. And then um, after those two tough years to end up at Techno and then to win Bathurst in the impossible way, which no small team can do it. No one's done it in 20-odd years. Um, it was tough. We had a few things roll our way, but that one was uh, after a couple of years, as I said, in in no man's land. Um, you know, it was, was yeah, the emotion on that day was, was pretty full on. Uh, one thing, um, that's all the questions we've got, but one thing we wanted to cover off too, of course, Doric are great partners of ours with the V8 Sleuth podcast. They've been right behind this project throughout 2019, and the irony of all this is you're a, you're a direct um, supporter, ambassador, and, and athlete and driver. 
But they were on your first supercar in 2004 at Winton in that wet, horrible race that you had a, a clutch go within a lap and you were done. Isn't it funny how the world's ended up coming full course and you've been in the Doric family for so many years now? It's it's weird how this stuff works Very out. cool. I didn't really even know it at the time. But yeah, you They're look, on your bonnet, Will. I know, and significant branding, you know, and it's the old retro Doric look, which I find so cool. Such an amazing company that I've been with now for uh, nine, ten years uh, as a personal sponsor. They've been with me and great people, great friends, great business, what they do. We share a lot of similar values, the way they run their company. Um so, yeah, just a company I'm proud to be um, a part of and associated with. Um, forever grateful. Um, just wonderful people. And, yeah, very ironic, like you say, to look at that debut V8 supercar that I drove in, having that DP Doric um, donned over the front of it is really, really cool. And I think it'll make a, a pretty cool, uh, you know, book chapter one end to the other uh, one day hopefully they're with me to the end anyway but um i think it's cool to start it and and finish finish our story with them along along with the journey yeah 15 years in motorsport in australia for, for direct this year and that's one of the, the really great parts of why we've been doing these podcasts to finish off we're going to do the v8 sleuth top 10 shootout you've done plenty of shootouts in your time grabbed a few polls and a few shootouts along the way this is basically just a jazzed up version of word association okay so i'm going to say some stuff and you say the first word that comes into your head, okay? I'll let you have two or maybe three words if you can't quite do it in one. <laughs> right, you ready? No. You're going to struggle to do anything in two or three words here because you do love a chat. Give me one word about Phil Monday. Oh, I'll pad while you think. He's your team owner at 23 Red I'm, Racing. I'm trying He's to do massively... him justice. Trying to do him justice. He's just uh, a gem, a red, rare, rare. Red gem. Red gem. There you go. There you go. Right. Uh, Betty Clemenko. Ha- oh. You can have two or three words if you have to. Yeah, just uh, quirky but heart of gold. Dick Johnson. Hero and battler. Aussie battler. There you go. There you go. Uh, we covered this off earlier. Croft. Sunny in and sunny out. No. Yeah, I it's love the name of the corner. It's a name of the corner, isn't it? Yeah, Croft. Uh, yeah, just uh, I. I just connect with that. I just connect with that track. Connected I got everything connected. Right, uh, James Davison, your cousin. Uh, tenacious, absolute grinder. Relentless. Relentless. I think there was a word between the two of them. Relentless. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Mick Asalo, your co-driver with FPR on the Gold Coast. Passionate and hilarious. I thought you were going to say finish and I would have said try again because that's not very <laughs> descriptive. Uh, well, we kind of know what you thought about this because I didn't think you were going to talk about it, but Jim Beam Falcon, what's the word that instantly springs to mind there? Uh, sentimental. Hmm. You're getting good at this. You're getting good at this. <laughs> uh, techno Autosports. We haven't really covered off that period, but what's the, the one thing that comes to mind there? Hmm. Bit of a mysterious, yeah, just a mysterious chapter with, I don't know, how do I cover that in mysterious. two words? Mate? Mysterious. You've covered it. There's the word. You yeah. don't have to say any more. Mysterious. Small That's the rules of the game. One or two or three <laughs> words. Um, Sandown. History. Old school history. Three words. We'll let you have that. History. Historic. There you go. You've, you've trimmed it. You got it from three to two to one. You're getting good at this. You know what? You're getting good at this right at the very end. Uh, one to go. A1 Grand Prix. Or, uh, and don't say international. No, no. Um, great noise. 
good parties. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great way to finish it up. Uh, it's been a really insightful drive down memory lane. Thank you for opening up to some of the stories that you probably haven't told before or you haven't to that level and depth. I think uh, I'm going to get in trouble now, you know that. No, 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 no. No one gets in trouble It's all here. good. I don't. It's been a real pleasure. Will Davison on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. So there you go. That's both parts of our chat with Will Davison in the books. A huge thank you to Will for spending so much time with us here at V8 Sleuth Headquarters and especially for opening up on what were some pretty tough chapters of his supercar's career. Keep an eye on our website, v8sleuth.com.au and the V8 Sleuth Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages for our next episodes. Make sure you subscribe no matter where you listen to your podcast to make sure that you know when the next episode's live. Until then, we'll catch you next time with the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.